Well, it's simply that the past winter, one of the mildest in living memory, has had its effect in other ways as well. Most important of all, it's resulted in an exceptionally heavy spaghetti crop. The last two weeks of March are an anxious time for the spaghetti farmer. There's always the chance of a late frost, which, while not entirely ruining the crop, generally impairs the flavour and makes it difficult for him to obtain top prices in world markets. But now these dangers are over and the spaghetti harvest goes forward. This year the Swiss crop was good, but there's a new specialty crop being tested in Italy on land that once grew Parmesan cheese. To get the most out of this spaghetti, agriculturists say it must be aged for at least four years. Bullshit! 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 You've got to love April Fool hoaxes. They're real enough that they could be true, but ridiculous enough to set off that little voice in your head urging you to look for a salt shaker. Of course, to get the salt, you have to go to the Great Salt Lake where it's harvested. Or is it? Today we're asking if all scams are hoaxes. Are all hoaxes scams? Or are they separate acts? The actual word hoax didn't appear until, yes, right at the end of the 18th century. That's Ian Keeble. His book on 18th century hoaxes in England was released in the UK September 7th. It's called The Century of Deception, The Birth of the Hoax in 18th Century England. I'll put links in the show notes to where you can pick up a copy, or just go to centuryofdeception.com. Yes, this one is particularly intriguing, the uh, the Benjamin Franklin one, because Benjamin Franklin was a, a, a well-known hoaxer, and his most famous hoax was called the Polly Baker Speech. It was a reproduction of a speech that a woman called Polly Baker had made in Connecticut. Uh, she was up before the magistrates of that particular court, charged with basically uh, fornication or having an illegitimate child. And this was like a sort of fourth time she was called up before the courts. So this apparently was the, like the fifth time that she'd been hauled up before the judges, uh, previous fines had either been money fines or imprisonment or even even whipped and beaten. So on this her sort of fifth occasion, she basically made a, a very moving speech before the, the court, asking the question of why she was being prosecuted for this. She didn't want to be an unmarried woman. Uh, her first lover proposed to her, but then had run off without wedding her. Uh, also, she said it was God's belief or right that she should produce children. This was good for the country at the time. We were looking to produce more children. And if she had committed a sin, uh, then surely she'd be punished by God. And therefore, why did the human courts need to punish her? So it was a very sort of impassioned and rather good speech. And apparently at the end, uh, everybody sort of stood up and almost and applauded. And uh, one of the judges uh, decided that he would marry her and make her a proper woman, so to speak. So this was the speech that was reproduced in, as I say, an English newspaper. And it, it was reproduced, uh, picked up by other newspapers at the time. It eventually got over to America, which would have taken a sort of month or so, because obviously it had to the papers had to go via the sea. And then it was reproduced in all the American papers as well. This was in 1747. So it was a, a story that sort of went viral, you could argue. 
a slightly slower way, but um, effectively the result was the same. It went all over the sort of Western world anyway. It only discovered some sort of 40 years afterwards that actually the whole speech had been written by Benjamin Franklin. He owned the Pennsylvania Gazette because he was a major publisher. That's basically part of the way he made his money. He didn't want to produce it in that paper because it was very sort of puritanical paper. It would have been considered to be a bit of a shocking speech. So somehow it arrived in an English newspaper. We're not quite sure whether he'd put it in or whether he got a friend to send it in. So it was produced, you know, a long way, both physically and emotionally from him. So nobody made the connection. Ben was a very busy guy, what with posing for a portrait that was used on the $100 bill, creating the type font Franklin Gothic, and inventing the flexible urinary catheter, swim fins, Philadelphia or Franklin stove, lightning rods, bifocals, and glass harmonica. Ian believes one of the major differences between a hoax and a scam is that hoaxes are not done for money. But one of the chapters in his book is a hoax that's all about money. Perhaps the best-known hoax of all the 18th century, was, a, which is a woman called Mary Toft, who claimed that she gave birth to rabbits. The reason that she did it uh, was in order to obtain money. But what's interesting about, if you go into it, is that uh, the hoax was sort of exposed before she managed to make any money out of it. And therefore, nobody's really addressed how she was actually going to make money out of it. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal. My own instinct on it and for my own research is I, I think she was going to sort of exhibit herself, uh, exhibiting, they used to call them monstrosities back in the 18th century. And these type of unfortunate people were exhibited uh, around the country at sort of taverns and also fairs. And I think uh, that was probably the object with, with Mary Toft, who became quite a notorious figure even after she was exposed. So you can imagine the amount of interest there would have been in her as a woman who'd actually given birth to rabbits and she could have travelled around from fair to fair to tavern to tavern and earned money by just being there and exhibiting herself. It was not a particularly nice life, it must be said. I mean, these poor people used to exhibit themselves up to sort of 10 or 12 hours a, a day and people could sort of poke at them and you know examine them carefully there was a woman with a horn and somebody commented every time you tugged at the horn she sort of screamed in pain uh so i i'm really not quite sure uh, i think it was probably quite fortunate that mary toft uh, didn't carry off her hopes to its ultimate end and she was able to sort of return back to her, her village life and live out hopefully a, a fairly normal life Eventually, Mary did have children, human ones. Her first was a daughter, whom she naturally named Bunny. 
Let's see how Google Translate for Animals works. I activate the Translate app. As you can see, there's a large range of animals to choose from. I choose pig. Then I make a recording. See here, it transcribes it, but if I push the speaker button, we can actually hear what Bella said. New person. Smells good. That's amazing. Let's find out what's on Donna's mind. Love you. So back we go to the 18th century and Ian's favorite hoax that includes a man and a bottle. My actual favorite hoax, which I write about in the book, is is called the Bottle Conjurer hoax. And this is where a man claimed uh, that he would climb inside a bottle on the stage of a theater in London. It was an ordinary sized bottle, ordinary sized wine bottle, and he was going to sing and dance inside it. What was clever about the hoax was that basically this was advertised in in a newspaper like five days before the hoax took place. So the the performance was due to take place on the 16th of January 1749 and the first advertisement appeared on the 11th of January, so only five days before. And obviously people had a little bit time to absorb it. But essentially if they wanted to see it, you know, they had to make a pretty sudden decision about it. And, you know, maybe if they didn't attend, then they would miss out on this amazing event happening. And they probably just didn't have enough time to rationalise it and say, well, this is palpably absurd. If if they'd had, you know, two or three months to, to work it out, then they probably would have realised how ridiculous this was. But they didn't really have that sort of time, so they had to sort of make a, an instant decision. And, of course, as soon as they arrived in the theatre and uh, the management from the theatre walked out on stage and said, unfortunately, the show's not going ahead, they realised, of course, that it was a hoax. And then they realised how stupid they were. And in true 18th century style, they, and a riot immediately broke out and they smashed the theatre. We've been having fun, but now we must turn to the dark side. Conspiracy theories. Let's start with the one that says the moon landing was faked. Hi, I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson. You're a personal astrophysicist. Have you really thought about what it would take to fake a moon landing? Because the rocket did launch. We all saw the rocket launch. Okay? So there's hardware there. They're, They're like office buildings of blueprints for the design of the Saturn V rocket. The hundreds of of engineering hours that went behind this and the records of those designs. If you wanted to fake the moon landing, you would have to fake all of these documents. And it just seems to me, it's way easier to just go to the moon. (laughs) Has anyone considered that? (laughs) Just go to the moon. That's easier than faking all of this. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife Maggie and son Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other 
true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. Next, there's Mark Sargent, who believes the Earth is flat. So where are you right now? You think you're in a globe spinning at 1,000 miles an hour. That globe is spinning around the sun at 60,000 plus miles an hour. That solar system is flying sideways through the galaxy at half a million miles an hour. And that galaxy is going through the rest of the universe at millions of miles an hour. And you feel nothing. In reality, you are actually in a giant planetarium slash terrarium slash soundstage slash Hollywood backlot that is so big that you and everyone you know and everyone you've ever known never figured it out. Enough of this crap. Let's go back to the land of the 18th century hoax and Ian Keeble who wrote about them. The equivalent over in, in this country is the Loch Ness monster. You know this monster, which uh, apparently uh, so that, and you, you never, you're not quite sure whether they, yeah, started off as somebody having a bit of fun, and then it sort of takes off and becomes something greater than that. I think there's an interesting idea about conspiracy theories. When does a hoax come into a conspiracy theory? A good one, I think, is is crop circles. You know, whoever did the first crop circle, I would guess probably did it as a hoax. You know, and here's a some alien spaceship has come down and made these strange circles. You thought it would be a good laugh. Um, and then somehow a lot of people got hold of it and it then becomes, yeah, something bigger than, than a hoax. It becomes a conspiracy theory. Even arguably uh, the the problems with uh, COVID vaccinations, which some people have today. So is that a hoax? Is that a scam? Is that a conspiracy theory? But I think a conspiracy theory tends to have legs. Now, it wouldn't be right for me to leave you without saying I've dropped some hoaxes in this episode. Some I've told you about and others. Well, you'll have to ask the lizard people about those. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a... Grave announcement to make. Incredible as it may seem, both the observations of science and the evidence of our eyes lead to the inescapable assumption that those strange beings who landed in the Jersey farmlands tonight are a vanguard of an invading army from the planet Mars. The battle which took place tonight at Grover Mills has ended in one of the most startling defeats ever suffered by any army in modern times. 7,000 men armed with rifles and machine guns pitted against a single fighting machine of the invaders from Mars. This is Orson Welles, ladies and gentlemen, out of character to assure you that the War of the Worlds has no further significance than as the holiday offering it was intended to be. The Mercury Theater's own radio version of dressing up in a sheet and jumping out of a bush and saying, Boo! Starting now, we couldn't soap all your windows and steal all your garden gates by tomorrow night. So we did the next best thing. We annihilated the world before your very ears and utterly destroyed CBS. You will be relieved, I hope, to learn that we didn't mean it and that both institutions are still open for business. People get taken by a scam or con because they want to believe they can become richer, smarter, or more attractive to a partner. 
But because they were the mark, they never realized they were being scammed. They never saw it coming. What you can believe in is that a new episode of Scams and Cons is coming in two weeks. Thanks for listening. Hi, this is Amy and Vanessa from She Goes by Jane, where we shine light on the stories of missing and unidentified women. On November 7th, we're sharing Nahida's story for the first time in a podcast. And this is a story that I thought I knew. But after reading police reports, it became more complicated than I thought. When investigators are called to Nahida Khatib's house, everything looks fine. Her purse is on the kitchen table, her cup of coffee is on the counter, and her two-year-old niece is in her playpen. The only thing amiss? Nahida is missing. Every week, we feature a poem written in honor of the person we're talking about. This week, we're joined by one of our favorite actresses. You might know her from Sister Act or King of the Hill or The Descendants. But if you're like us, you'll know her from Hocus Pocus. She's the much-beloved Kathy Najimy. Join us November 7th to hear Nahida's story.